Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Welcome to Opera Box Score. Wherever you are, however you're listening, thanks for hanging out with us on America's Talk Radio Show about opera. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-host Tobias Wright. We are live on WNUR FM, Evanston, Chicago. We're streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up, and we're available as a podcast on iTunes. 847-866-WNUR is the number in the studio. Give us your hot takes on what we're talking about, 847-866-9687. Well, tonight, we're DVRing the first presidential debate to talk opera, and you should too. So at the top of the batting order, it's our Chalk Talk segment. We look at two stories of two different African-American men who got into the opera business against all the odds. Bass baritone Ryan Speedo Green, who beat Juvenile Hall to make it into the ensemble at the Vienna State Opera, and Morris Robinson, who finished his college football career at the Citadel before signing at the Metropolitan Opera. So check out the links to their stories on our website, operaboxscore.com. And then in 15 minutes, it's one of our new segments. It's called The Hot Seat. We take a look at an opera figure who has made a big career move or made a tough choice that's put them under pressure. This week, we focus on Oliver Mears, who has just been appointed as the director of opera at the Royal Opera House in London. Find out what drama he'll be facing in his new job. At the bottom of the hour, you get all your opera headlines in the two-minute drill, and then we wrap up our show with another segment called Crunching the Numbers. We interpret some cold, hard facts and stats from opera. We read between the lines, and this week we take a look at some of the most common tenor arias sung in auditions, as well as a few of the outliers. So, man, this show is loaded. It's my pleasure to introduce Tobias Wright. I'm here. I'm ready, George. I'm excited to be in the studio with just you, and uh, let's see what happens. Yeah, this is going to be weird. This is going to be fun. What do you mean weird? We'll find out. I I guess we'll find (laughs) out. Well, look, we got to talk sports for just a couple minutes before your Chiefs uh, fall to two and one. They improved to two and one. Yeah, they didn't really fall to two and one. The Kansas City Chiefs, I think, are a serious contender. One in the AFC West, and two to win the entire Super Bowl. Some might think that I'm crazy, and I will gladly take that that, criticism. That is that is crazy. I I don't I don't see that happening. Uh, I'll tell you who is not going to be a contender for the Super Bowl. Who's that? That would be the uh, De Bears. The the monsters of the midway. Yeah, they're, nah. they're just uh, a dysfunctional just, football team. They really are. I mean, uh, Rex Grossman did not play on Sunday. He's Jake still, Cutler. Uh, excuse me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Thank God Rex Grossman didn't play. <laughs> Actually, though, you think about Rex Grossman, and Rex Grossman had a lot of success just saying, you know what, screw it, I'm throwing the ball as far as I can. I he completed a lot of passes, and they went to a Super Bowl. With oh Rex my Grossman. goodness, that was a real blast from the past. Yeah, Jake Cutler. No, yesterday had Brian Hoyer playing. Yeah, equally dreadful as well. Couldn't move the ball. <laughs> I just, it was, it was 24-3, I think, when I tuned in. That's uh, that's when I tuned out. And that's not a good Dallas team either. Well, it's a Dallas team that could be really good. I mean, they have the best offensive line in football, and they're playing a rookie quarterback. I don't know. Yeah, okay, a rookie quarterback by the name of Dak Prescott. Uh, who, if you watch college football, I'm, a, I'm probably more of a college football fan, I would say. Dak Prescott is a talented dude. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's really a boss. Is. Now, the one thing that I think like the casual fan doesn't really realize, being an NFL quarterback is so extraordinarily difficult. And like to have a good one, I mean, that's it's like one in a million. I mean, you get you got to get lucky to have a 
a good quarterback. It's really, really hard. So we'll we'll see what happens yeah, in, in the next segment of the. Do you want to make a bet? Uh, possibly. What's the bet? Let's make a bet that the Chiefs are going to have a better record than the Bears. That's definitely not a bet. I would take. Okay, I was just trying yeah. to start simple. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's 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 my bet for you: is who will the Cubs have more wins in the postseason than the Bears have in the regular oh. season? <laughs> I'm gonna. That's a great bet. I'm taking. I'm saying. It. I'm taking yes. Okay. You want to talk some opera? Yes, I, we can do that. All right, let's talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. All right, well... Uh, Wait, George. Yes. That was a stupendous bet. Think about it. Yeah, I'm thinking already. Think about it. It's a good one. Uh, I, that wasn't my original idea, by the way. I, I stole that off ESPN 1000. Totally. <laughs> um, Thank you, ESPN 1000. Two singers uh, came onto the headlines this week, uh, both African-American men who have really battled against the odds to end where they are now. Uh, The first one, Ryan Speedo Green, and yes, that really is his middle name. He is a bass baritone. He had an interview with Terry Gross on NPR's program Fresh Air with a book tie-in. He was just part of a book that I think he uh, was written about him or he kind of co-wrote. It's called Sing for Your Life. And Green's story is this, is that he fought through juvenile hall, juvenile detention, and uh, by the age of 30 was starting to... Is. Is. Yeah. Singing at the Metropolitan Opera. He is uh, part of the ensemble at the Vienna State Opera as well. He won the Met competition in 2011. And, I mean, this guy, like, what's what's stopping him? Well... I think one of the cool things, you know, we think so. He was in juvenile detention, um, and we do we have a link of this on the website? We or do. Will yeah, we? operaboxscore.com. You can check out the link to the Terry Gross interview. It really actually is a great interview if you listen to the whole thing. Um, it wasn't just juvenile detention, so that was actually in in the grand scheme of his life, that was fairly recently, not too long ago, that he was a teenager who was a troubled youth who was seeking guidance and who had never even heard opera or knew that he had that talent. So for you to think that less less than 18 years ago, he was in a juvenile detention center screaming at the top of his lungs until he had no voice while he was in solitary confinement, and now he's singing Colline uh, at the Met. What an incredible journey that is. It's crazy. Let's, let's listen to a little bit of a clip yeah. of him singing, actually. This is him singing... Solche Helga Laufner Laffen, which is one of Osmin's arias from the abduction from the Seraglio by Mozart. Check it out. Yes, yes, yes. 
This role of Azmin in the abduction from the Seraglio, he's basically the bodyguard or bouncer, I suppose. A physical imposing presence. He is, yeah. And you need to be, I think you need to be a pretty big guy to sing this part. And if you look at the photos of him online... He's pretty jacked. It's so it says he's he actually says in uh, himself he's six foot five, three hundred pounds. What? <laughs> That's a large. That is a large human. You That's know what like I mean? Offensive lineman. That is stats, an off- yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. You'd kill for 300 that. Three hundred pounds. That's that's a big dude. I mean, you but, gotta have a big chest cavity to sing that rap. You know, it's funny because some people um, there's a somewhere on YouTube there's this video of Pavarotti and he's telling these embarrassing stories. And someone says, Mr. Pavarotti, um, does your size help you sing? Or something to that effect. It's this British woman, and she talks about how she loves larger gentlemen, and Pav smiles very graciously. And she's like, does your size basically help you sing? And he, he looks at her and he goes, I would hope so. You know, and it's this big, <laughs> resonant voice. And so you, yeah. you think when you get somebody as big as, you know, six, five, 300 pounds, that there's a lot of sound coming from that, from the body. It's interesting, in the interview with Terry Gross, Mm -hmm. and I'm quoting the interview here, but what Green says is, this is about racism in opera. You know, he's a black man, he's going up for these auditions, and he says, quote, like, you know, when they, he's talking about the auditors, when they see a large African-American male walk into audition, they immediately think, okay, his languages are probably going to be bad, or he's probably going to have a gospel sound. It's subtle, but it may have a profound effect on casting. End quote. Obviously, you and I, as two white guys, I mean, I don't even audition. You know, you do mm-hmm. as a tenor. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's just one more It's one more barrier. It's one more thing that you have to overcome. I mean, I don't even know if we can guess what that feels like. I don't think that we can. And I think, uh, I and I've had this conversation before where with friends who are both black and even I, ha- I have a friend who's black and gay uh, in the opera business. And I can't even begin to imagine the prejudice that you're fighting against. And that is without worrying about what's my soft palate doing? What's my breath doing? Do you know what I mean? And and you're right, it is an extra barrier. And so to see a young man who's, you know, just a few years older than I am to have that success um, against those obstacles, those aren't even musical obstacles. And to still have that success, that's stupidly exciting. So he overcomes juvenile hall he overcomes race he goes to juilliard he sings at the central city opera which is a summer program Mm -hmm. uh, just outside denver he sings a wolf trap opera in 2014 he's now part of the ensemble at the vienna state opera he's got the book i mean what's next the movie for this guy well i think what's next is he has the book coming out and the book's gonna be exciting to read uh for me not only because um it's a young singer, but because I accidentally stumbled upon opera too. So I think it'll be fascinating to hear someone else's story about how it transformed their life. Cause I know for me, it was one recording is all it took. And then I was like, well, I'm changing everything to try and do that. And it, he had mentors, didn't he? He had mentors. And that, that's one of the biggest takeaways that I took away from the article was it wasn't just that he was talented or that he overcame these obstacles. He didn't do that alone. He really had people, educators, mentors. And I think that's so important for young people, but he had educators and mentors who invested in him n- n- on like a really seriously personal level too, not just on an educator level. Like they said, this young man, we're going to be a part of his life. And how awesome is that for him? Exactly. The uh, other guy which fell into this same conversation was Morris Robinson, who's also a bass baritone, ironically, has sung some of the same rep 
as yeah. uh, Ryan Speedo Green. And is also uh, another black male who's at the Met. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he sung some of the same rep. He sung in the same productions as him. That is to say that the same directors have directed both of them in the same parts, although they weren't in the shows together. Uh, now, he, his story is that he played football in college. Yeah. He played for the Citadel. Which is, I mean, it's a D one. It's a D one. Well, I think they're an FBS, FCS okay. school, okay. but they play against D one. I mean, it's high, high yeah. level major college yeah. football. Yeah, and he, I think you know, and also if you look at the photos, you can go to our website operaboxscore.com, Check out the photos of him, the link to him in this USA Today article. Again, he's he's a big dude. Big dude, and he talks about this is I thought really interesting. So I did sports. Yeah, and you played baseball. Uh, I did football, basketball, and track. Okay, and then um, track. That's where all the girls are, right? I don't know. I threw I threw the discus, man. <laughs> That's not where the girls are. No. <laughs> I was I was just in the middle of Kansas throwing big metal discs <laughs> and hoping they went far. I'm not even kidding. Anyway, um I so I always I approach singing from the uh from a physical standpoint. Yeah. Like I was an athlete. And I prepare like I was an athlete. And I'm so thankful that I somehow grew up and had a regimented way to go practice and then perform something, only it was sports. It wasn't music. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I used that in, I, in my singing a lot. And he talked about this, actually. He talked about a thing that he called the click. And I always tell people singing is my drug. Right. And that, like, there's this moment where you just know, boom, time to go on stage. It's time to go. And it's game yeah. time. Yeah. And he said, uh, there are a few things he says in this quote that are interesting. He feels like it's his duty as an artist to share opera with the world. And he also feels a responsibility to represent African-Americans in a genre of the arts that has struggled with a lack of diversity. Um, and then he goes on to say, I feel like it's not just my job. This is my calling. Wow. And to have a performer not only uh, to be of a different ethnicity than what... I mean, we have a lot of white people who sing opera, especially sure. in the United States. But to have a black male um, feel like... It's not just his passion, it is his calling. I mean, think of who that can inspire. Think of the generational impact that could have um, possibly on the next you know, generation of musicians. I used to be very small-minded about this, and these types of stories used to really piss me off. And I'll tell you why. is because I was always insanely jealous. I was always like, that should be me. That should be me, you know, getting that interview or that article or whatever. And it took me a long time to really flip my perspective yeah, are, on this. You mean like this, the like the fourteen-year-old on The Voice who everybody's like the next opera star of America? Yeah, I, I, I suppose more of that than than these guys overcoming all the odds. But I used mm-hmm. to think like, well, you know, I've I've fought too. Yeah, you know, I haven't ever. I'm not for a minute saying I've overcome any like racial prejudice because obviously I haven't. I don't know, dude. You are a ginger. Uh, that is true. We <laughs> redheads are discriminated against in our own small, tiny way. Uh, but I, I'm sorry. I, I, I just, I've, I've, I've flipped my view now. And it's like these types of stories actually are so important because they are so inspirational. Yes to minority artists. Yes to the, anyone who gets discriminated against for any reason. And as you say, you're just you're looking for your calling and you're looking for the click, yeah. as Morris Robinson calls and, it. And you know what? I I get where you're coming from, saying that you has, you used to hate these stories. I get that. I do. And I think sometimes I I get jealous too when I see you know the hashtag thrilled to announce on Facebook or whatever. Sure. But I think really what we should. Just not even from a musical standpoint, from a humanity standpoint, we should just celebrate that someone's having success. I mean, it's as simple as that, you know? And yeah, sometimes it impedes our own success, but dang, somebody gets to do something that they love, and and that's our goal. Celebrate people having that 
come true for them, you know? 847-866-9687 number in the studio. Give us a call. Let us know what you're thinking. Opera Box Score on WNUR. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. Now I hear you say an opera ain't your thing, but get this. We tackle everything about opera and body slam it into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of in-depth analysis, outrageous opinions, and good, clean fun. You might even learn something. Opera class, sports radio crass. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Let's see who's in the hot seat. That's right. It's Opera Box Score on Monday night. Hey, thanks for uh, skipping the debate and hanging out with us tonight. Appreciate it. <laughs> I'm just so terrified. I, I will check in and watch the debate later, and I'm not going to make this a uh, big It's going to be all over show, Twitter and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it'll be fine. We're on Twitter, too, by the way, at Opera Box Score. I'm, that's one of my uh, October resolutions is to be more active on Twitter. That's uh, one of my October resolutions is to help you be more active on Twitter. Excellent, because you really are on Twitter a lot. Well, I have my own personal Twitter. If anybody wants to follow me, it is Toby Tenor, at Toby Tenor. And then if you want to follow the Opera Box Score, it's at Opera Box Score. Um, You know, Twitter's a weird, it's a weird platform, but I get my news off Twitter. You know what I mean? okay, sure. Yeah, because it happens so quick. And now that Twitter and Facebook, it's kind of actually creepy. You can go live at any time. And there's so much of that. Like today, I watched Flooding of the Mississippi River in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Why? I don't know. Yeah, it was just live. That is bizarre. One of my friends had posted it live. I know, right? Maybe we should go live on Twitter next week from the show. Wow. Uh, do we have an extra pair of thumbs? Maybe yeah. we could get Giovanna's beautifully manicured nails mm, in here Giov- to, Giovanna to work, the, work the keys. Well, we got a new segment for you this week. It's called The Hot Seat. Uh, yeah. You know, in, in sports land, coaches are always on the hot seat. You know, look yeah. at Les Miles at LSU. Incredible. Fired. He's gone two and two. I mean, he has just t- taken that program and just built it into such a, a great program. I mean, and now he's done. It's, it's kind of incredible that the expect, but that's why you get in the hot seat. You, it's kind of crazy that a guy like Les Miles gets fired because he created those expectations. Do you know what I mean? I do. Um, I do. And it's all, you only get on the hot seat because the expectations have been raised so high. And, and that's, you know. It's a it's a catch twenty two. You want to have high expectations as a coach or as a as a singer or as a director, um, but it, <laughs> you know the consequences are if you ever come up short of those expectations that you've created, then people suspect that you're slipping in your game. It's very true. Well, we've taken a page out of that notebook and made our own segment uh, on hot takes. We try, or excuse me, hot seats. We try and look at uh, an administrator or a singer, somebody in the business that has had to make a decision. That might be unpopular. Somebody that's been put into the spotlight. We examine who they are, why they got to where they got to, and and why exactly they're in the hot seat. And we're kicking it off this week with the promotion of Oliver Mears, who is succeeding Casper Holton as the director of opera at the Royal Opera House in London. 
it, this is a big deal. So Oliver Mears, his backstory is... Not Oliver Macho Camacho. No. Wouldn't that be bizarre, though, if Oliver Camacho was taking over the Royal Opera House? It wouldn't be bizarre. It'd be awesome. <laughs> I don't think he'd return my calls. <laughs> uh, Oliver, you better return our calls when you direct for... Oliver Mears, yeah. he Sorry. directed at Northern Ireland Opera for six years, started in 2010 there. Uh, he's also directed for touring companies in the United Kingdom. He's directed in the Netherlands and Denmark. I think just one show in each country. And then also founded a company in London, which is a site-specific opera company called Second Movement. Now, the guy is also 37. So, really quick, I just want to say yeah. that I have no personal investment in the Royal Opera House other than, I mean, obviously I want opera to do well. Yeah. But just listing off what you listed there, I, as a casual observer, would say, huh, none of that sounds quite on the same level with his resume as the Royal Opera House. Do you agree? Do I, you just... I, I do agree with you. And, and let me say this. Is, I've is ri- this a reach for a hire? Or go ahead. It's no. a huge reach. Well, first of all, I'll say that I've written with Oliver over the years. We haven't met, but he's always corresponded. He's always written back to me. Hey, send me your stuff. He's been just nothing but gracious. So to our listeners, does that count? Should we drink? Was that George talking? Uh, did you ever go visit him? Did you have one? No, no. I've never <laughs> been to Ireland. Okay. Actually. I, so no, I don't think you need Sorry, to drink. So we're not drinking. It's, it's a big, it's a big reach, though. Uh, you know what? I bet you he was surprised when he got into that interview <laughs> room. Uh, but here's why it's surprising: is because his resume isn't huge. Mm-hmm. You know, he has done a couple shows in continental Europe. Obviously, working at one company for six years. It's Northern Ireland's. I think it's their only major opera company. Okay. I can't think of another one. But here's the thing about this job. I don't think anybody else in continental Europe would have taken that job. Because? Because if you are in France or Germany or Spain or the Netherlands, you know that you are running Europe right now. That you know that you are at probably a fantastic house, which is getting a lot of money from the government. Government, yeah. And... And they kind of know that the Royal Opera House, you know, is in a bit of trouble. I and, mean, then not, and not just musically in trouble, financially, right? And this finan- has to do, too, with the economic, I'm assuming, repercussions from from Brexit? Well, it's it started before Brexit. You know, you look at English National Opera, the other opera company in London. They had a lot of their Arts Council funding slash. I think it was they lost like a third of the money that they got. This is millions of pounds that they got mm-hmm. from the Arts Council, which they lost. Royal Opera House... It could it could happen to them. They've had some problems in their upper levels of their management as well. I think Brexit is a factor too. If you're in continental Europe and you got the call to go in and interview for that job, you, you don't know if you're going to end up on right. the outside of the tent peeing in, as they say. So they, <laughs> which is not what you want to be, right? You always want to be inside of the tent peeing out. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that. I'm going camping soon, okay. and I'm gonna use that, dude. It's almost October. Don't go camping. I'm going. Did I not tell you this? Anyway, I'm going to Yellowstone. Okay. Um, but back to that, you know, it's interesting to me to say that anybody in continental Europe wouldn't want to take it. Yeah. And they get somebody from the UK, you know. Wait. Well, they want to. Where's he from? He's Ireland. In, he's in Northern Ireland, <laughs> man. So, okay, yes, good. he is part of the United <laughs> Kingdom. Look at him, man. Um, oh, my gosh. No, I said, I'm sorry. It's an inside job. It's an inside job. And, and But will that diminish the prominence of the Royal Opera House? I mean, I think that their gamble is that it's going to strengthen it, is that what they have. Uh, is that they've found somebody from within the family. You know, I think that in a way they wanted to get someone from, say, England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, who was part of the country that knew the people that spoke the language 
fluently that knew all the artists and the collaborators. I mean, it's an international opera house, there's no right. question. But someone that was just really ingrained into that family again. And that's why I think somebody like Oliver Mears was probably attractive. I will say this. He's in the hot seat this week because although he doesn't start until March and although we will not see the effects of what he's planning because opera moves at this glacial pace and these seasons are programmed years in advance. luckily, it's always still moving. It's always still moving, (laughs) just barely. So he's going to be working with Antonio Papano, who's the head conductor and the head of music at the Royal Opera House. They'll be programming operas. He'll be working with the casting director to cast the shows. He'll be selecting directors, looking at project proposals. There is a lot on this guy's plate. Well, yeah, but he knew that going into it or he wouldn't have applied for the job. I mean, he knows that it's a cleanup job, right? It's like a coach taking over for a depleted college football program with low scholarship numbers. You know that there is a number you have to obtain. Yeah. Um, and you know that there's no other way to get it done than just start doing it. Yeah, exactly. And if he really wants to co- go save uh, this opera company or at least steer the ship in a, a better direction, there's only one way to do it, and that's to start. What's interesting, too, is that across town, again, English National Opera is on the other side of London. They have also recently just hired a new director of opera who is of a similar age. This is Daniel Kramer, the director, and this is old news now, but it's a great comparison. Again, Kramer is mm, 39 or maybe 40. Another really super young guy. Yeah, he's he's actually American, but he, he basically has spent his whole life growing up in England. Mm. Uh, So it's just interesting to me now that the two big opera companies in London, and again, these are big international houses, are being young by very young men. And do you think because of that that there will be... Will it diminish the international stature of both It could do. It could do, yeah. I mean, I think we could see these companies, you know, working a little more close to home, having more people from the United Kingdom singing there. I I think their productions are going to get pared down. Probably we know those budgets are going to get pared down. I think it's going to be a hard sell for donors, benefactors, corporate sponsors to be giving such new blood as much money as they have been in the past. So the challenge for both these guys, but especially for Oliver Mears, is going to be he, he better be doing a lot with a little, and I think he better do it fast. Well, and I think, you know... It's interesting because we are in Chicago, and in Chicago, they're not trying to compete with anybody else in Chicago at the Lyric right? Um, because they know that they are the prominent opera house. So they constantly are looking, what, are we in, what do we have to do to be uh, competitive on an international level? And I think that's the vision. And if the vision changes at the Royal Opera House, um, then I think there would be cause for concern. But there was a quote by Oliver Mears here that I actually thought was wonderful, and it makes me excited to see what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and he said uh, that opera was important, quote, because it's totally unfeasible, unfeasible, which is I agree with that. And it's lack of deference to economic realities. It signifies that at least not all art can be uh, commodified or rationalized. And you know what? That's somebody who's acknowledging the challenges and I think swinging his arms wide open and saying, all right, I'll, I'll embrace that challenge and, and I, I'm ready for it. I totally agree with you. Ready to do the two minute drill? Let's do it. Let's do it. This just in, the two-minute drill.
And time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know in two minutes or less. The Metropolitan Opera season opens tonight with a new production of Wagner's Tristan and Isolde, uh, with Simon Rattle conducting, directed by Marius Trelinsky and sung by Stuart Skelton and Nina Stemmer. But of course, it clashes with the first Trump-Clinton TV debate. Might be some patrons in the audience splitting their evenings and hedging their bets and leaving early to go see the uh, debate before the opera finishes. Opera Philadelphia is agreeing to make changes in its marketing and production of Pacini's Turandot because of complaints it perpetrates stereotypes about Asians. A governor's commission on Asian Pacific American affairs said that the Opera Philadelphia is modifying and removing narrow, drooping Fu Manchu mustaches on several characters. A critique of the opera's depiction of Asians will be included in the program. Russian baritone Dmitry Vorstovsky is receiving treatment for brain cancer and has just notified the Vienna State Opera that he's too unwell to sing the title role in Verdi's Simone Boccanegra. Philip Glass has been awarded the National Medal for Arts from President Obama for, quote, his groundbreaking contributions to music and composition. He's one of the most prolific, inventive, and influential artists of our time. He's expanded musical possibility with his operas, symphonies, and film scores and his wide-ranging collaborations. Lastly, Laverne Cox has received a lot of attention not only because of her abilities as an actress, but because she's also a civil rights activist. She's the first openly transgender person to receive a primetime Emmy nomination, and now in the October 2016 issue of Cosmopolitan magazine, Cox is shining the spotlight on women of color who have inspired her to become the person she is today, including opera singer Leontine Price. In a photo shoot for the mag, she dresses in a homage to Price. Check out the photos on Opera Box Score dot com slash your take that's the two minute drill and we're going to kick it off right away i want to go to the phone lines here and see if we can get kenny on the line kenny are you there i'm here what's on your mind kenny well just to tie in a little bit with your hot seat discussion i know somebody that may be on the hot seat in the opera world and who would that be that is designer director robert lepage okay go ahead well, he's got a production coming up at the Metropolitan, Kaya uh, Sariajos, Opera L'Amour de Lorraine, mm-hmm. Love from Afar. The Met just released some technical rehearsal video from the opera. Go on. Kenny, this is Toby. It's good to hear hey. from you, by the way. Hey, Toby. <laughs> and um, right now, the first 30 seconds from the technical rehearsals shows a stage much like put together for his infamous ring production. Lots of hydraulics, lots of strange lighting. Lots of machinery. Machinery, exactly. And I was just wondering, you know, from a director's point of view and a performer's point of view as well, what can you do with the demanding stage design and possibly dangerous sets and props? It's great, Kenny. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it very much. You know, my aesthetic, I've always been a guy to really pare it down. You know, I was raised on the $500 mentality. <laughs> you know, I... Uh, so you're okay with that, but would you prefer the $5 million mentality? You, honestly, I wouldn't. I have, I have said this from day one, is that what I invest in is people as a director. I want to be paying people a living wage and more so... If I can, I mm-hmm. want to have the best instrumentalists. I want to have the best designers. I want to have the best administrators, singers, of course, directors. I want to be investing in people. I just, I just don't need it. You know. And you know, I think that's a really fair um, 
and wonderful point of view to make. And that's what I would call artistic integrity on your part, George. And now that being said, I, I'm going to take the other side here. And I will say I've been in the $500 productions, plenty of them. And then I've been in the million dollar productions. Okay, right on. And it's not that one is better than the other, but there is a different vibe. When you walk on stage and there's 100 people on stage for Aida and you're doing, you know, I mean, that's inc- that's an incredible feeling as a performer and you don't there's no conscious thought you have to be ingrained in that moment otherwise you're insane and you're in the wrong business do you know what i mean and so i'm a fan of sometimes doing more than what would normally be done yeah now, dude, the, but here's 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 the problem though is that the reason we go to the opera as audience members we're not interested in how you feel up on stage we're interested in how we feel okay but as an audience member, aren't you a little bit... You know, I actually wrote this on an application the other day, and I said that the fact that I find joy in performing, that's got to be a strength as a performer for an audience member. Like, they have to enjoy someone. If you see someone on stage who's just locked in and totally passionate and loving it, aren't you going to enjoy that more? It transmits. There's no yeah, question. Yeah, for sure. Transmits. And that, I guess that's more my point. Yeah. yeah. Now, like when they did Valkyrie, and they had the giant... Like, I mean, did you ever see that set from the Met HD broadcasts? When they had, yeah, it was crazy. It was it crazy, was and that's, that's unbelievable. Kenny's, that's Kenny's point. It right. is that it's it's crazy. It was crazy to the point of not being sick. And I don't know this uh, this show, Love from Afar. Do you? Yeah, it's the Finnish, the female Finnish composers uh, show. It hasn't been done for a while. I, I don't know much about the story. I, you know, Kenny's point is that what is Lapage going to do, and is it going to be unsafe? Basically. Can't wait to find out. We Maybe that's see. the whole point. Kenny, thank you for yeah, bringing this to my see. attention. <laughs> what else is, is uh, intriguing to you, Tobias, about that two-minute drill there? Uh, opening night. You know, and you think yeah. like national holidays, baseball, opening day, mm-hmm. 4th of July, mm-hmm. and like Labor Day, like, and all these ones, all these holidays and we kind of associate with sports. Um, and it's opening night. It's opening night of the opera season. When the Mets do an opening night, you know it's ready to go. And the Lyric opens on Saturday night with actually their new production of The Ring Cycle mm-hmm. um, at the Chicago Lyric Opera. And they're starting with Das Rheingold, and I'm excited to be going to that show. Directed um, by David Pountney, who also runs the Bregenz Festival yep. in Austria. I've, I'm, Dude, I'm going to be there. I'm not going to miss it. No. It's gonna be great. Yeah, it's going to be great. You know, something else that caught my mind, I have a friend, um, I have several friends actually involved with the production of Turandot at Philadelphia mm-hmm. Opera. Um, and it was interesting. I wondered if it would become a larger deal than it was. Uh, did you did you have a little spidey sense on this? Did you think this well, was going to blow up? The, yeah. Um, when they all started rehearsal, there was some there was some chatter on the books of the face um, <laughs> ab- the, about this very thing. And okay. I wondered I wondered if there would be a change. Um, and I'm you know it looks like there was. And I'm uh, upcoming. I'm going to be in a production of Madame Butterfly, and I yeah. wonder you know what's going to happen there. I'll yeah. have to let you know, you know? Yeah. I, I'm amazed that, that, that it got to the point that it did. I, I feel like my spidey sense could have sniffed this out early, too. I, I just, I, to me, there is no relationship to what the story of Turn Dot is about and a, as it's quoted in that article, a narrow, drooping Fu Manchu mustache. Like, I just, you just don't need it. Yeah. It's so archaic. Isn't it for like Pang and Pong or? or yeah, yeah, it's for the, Pong, yeah. exactly, exactly. Right. I mean, I assume so. Yeah, I would assume so as well. Uh, but I mean, there are so many ways you could tell that story, and what that image is—it's an archaic image. It's not an appropriate image. Now, to their credit, Opera Philadelphia is putting this critique of the opera's depictions of of Asians and putting it in the program book. But hey, man, proofs in the pudding. I mean, whatever you see on stage—that's that's your first point of contact with right. the piece, you know. 
regardless of what you've told me it should look like. I, so, uh, yeah, I'm just surprised by that. That they took it off? I, that, 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 that the designers decided to go that route. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a huge... I, I think they would probably want to take that back if they could have a, another chance. Uh, you know, I don't think the... Maybe, well, I'm sure now that they would... Now they definitely would with the backlash that they've had. But, you know, it's interesting. Babe, it's not like this decision was made lightly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Initially to do, to make the depiction of the characters as they had initially planned. I, that there was no accident in that choice. Uh, Vorostovsky. But I think they realized later, obviously, there was. Yeah, exactly. Dmitry Vorostovsky. Getting, he's, he's, you know, he's quite sick. Brain cancer. I mean, that's obviously extremely serious. And um, what a shame that he had to pull off for the, from uh, the Verdi. Well, and this has been a recurring thing. His health has been bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's to the point now where we is lovers of opera and of the performers who get to share our art form with us for us i think it's to the point where we just hope for his health just as a human being yeah you know nothing to do with performing or or singing or you just you hope for him and his loved ones that that he can just beat this yeah and then selfishly because he's an awesome performer you hope that we get to continue right and because he's a he's a badass silver fox (laughs) silver fox he he is a silver fox oh for sure he's a silver fox i often wonder george what are you going to look like when you're like 60 do you do you know? Are you gonna I, grow your fro out when you're an older man? Man, I kind of do that now. I I got my first gray hair in my beard the other day though. Ooh, and my wife got her first gray hair too. She's she's gonna be so pissed if you said that on the I, air. I plucked I plucked it out though. That's I was rough. like, honey, it's one of those weird like albino hairs. It's not actually gray. It's not actually gray. Yeah. yeah. No. As I've gotten older, I just have hair on weird places in my body. Don't go on. <laughs> Philip Glass wins the National Medal for the Arts along with a sick roster of people. You should check it out on the, um, it's not on the White House. It's on, I think, arts.gov. The, uh, I mean, he, in my book, he's totally deserving. It feels uh, a little late, actually. Or, or maybe even soon. I mean, he's still doing his thing. He's, well, just because you get the National Medal for Arts doesn't mean you can't, you have to stop. Well, right, but I'm saying like he's in the middle of still doing stuff, making new stuff, you know, yeah. and going around and and teaching and and educating. And he, he's playing a gig in Chicago in November at the Old Town School of Folk Music. That's all. Are you going? Will you be attending, George? I, I'm going to skip that. Let's get a press pass. It's seventy bucks. Let's get a press pass. Pass, and... pass. 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 <laughs> pass. 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 That's and, such uh, a cheap Philip Glass. I mean, come yeah. on. We've seen you directed the Penal Colony for Chicago yeah. Fringe Opera. There's melody in Philip Glass. <laughs> he's brilliant. I mean, it's because he's worked in so many media. That to me is what really what Philip Glass is is so impressive. Is that he's done film, he's done opera, he's done solo piano works, he's done yeah. symphonic works. There's it's, it's so deep. Well, it was a com- he's a composer who wants to create music. Yeah, and I think that's awesome. You know that the catalog gets gets to grow because he has all the different genres in. You know, and for some composers they. Unfortunately, we don't really get that much outside of what they gave us with opera. But with Philip Glass, there's a you know a vast uh, range of things that he's done. Yeah, exactly. How about Laverne Cox? This is a, a um, clip that Oliver, our creative consultant, sent over. I you know because I don't watch TV, I don't I don't know a lot about her as an actress. I think she's on Orange Is the New Black. I don't know. Okay, and I don't watch television. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know what this says. I'm so Drink. sorry. 
Uh, that that'll be your drinking thing. The, that that I don't tra- don't watch television. I, I'm just trying to insult you. Somehow. Oh, it's all good. You know what I am watching though. What's that? I'm I'm watching a Ken Burns documentary currently on the Roosevelts. Okay. Yeah, because I'm a total nerd. So when I do watch television, it's to learn. That's cool. I mean, I don't read fiction. And I mean, we wonder why I'm single. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah, there you go, man. Anyway, so she dressed up as Leontine Price. One of them, that was one of the many African-American women artists that she pays uh, homage to in this photo shoot. Uh, and it's it's beautifully done. Fantastic makeup, lighting, costume. I mean, she, she really does look like Leontine Price. Which is awesome. I mean, it's a credit to... Uh, her willingness to adapt to a character and uh, to pay homage, like you said, to someone who was inspirational for her. And I think that's really cool to get to celebrate that. Well, it goes back to um, the the point about mentors that you had earlier, you know, and she talks about this in this article uh, on Cosmopolitan. Yeah, there she, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at something else now. She is on Orange is the New Black. Um, If we fail, pop culture. No, I I said it was Orange was the New Black. I got it right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and she um, she talks about a number of artists, and, and she talks about how Leontine Price kind of blew the door off the hinges for people of color to be performing at that level, to be recognized at that level, frankly. Not it, just to be performing at that level, but to be the best at that level. 847-866-9687, number in the studio. We are going to step aside for one second. Be right back here. Opera Box Score. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Subject to interpretation and analysis, let's crunch the numbers. Back on Opera Box Score, it's WNUR. George Cedarquist here with Tobias Wright. Crunches and numbers on a Monday night. OperaBoxScore.com is the website. At Opera Box Score on Twitter. This is a new segment that we're kicking off tonight, crunching the numbers. You know, I'm, I love stats. And sports are driven by stats. This show really tries to take a page out of the life of sports, out of sports talk radio, and try and get some of the things that make sports and sports talk radio great and apply those same principles to opera. And one of those things to me is statistics. If you know Kim Whitman, she is the head of Wolf Trap Opera and Classical Programming, which is primarily a, a summer program uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. in Vienna, Virginia. I've known Kim for a while. I was a, I was on a directing fellowship there in 2008. 2008. That was Which a good was year. It was a great year. Do I you want to know what I was doing? Uh, we, don't tell me. You weren't in high school in 2008, were No, you? I was my freshman year of college. Okay. 
it was close. Yeah. Wow. Close. Uh, it was a great summer for me, actually, getting to know Kim, getting to know that program. I mean, Wolf Trap Opera. They get the best young artists, period. Yeah. Pianists, directors. I mean, it's a huge that you've been there. I mean, that just speaks volumes to your talent as a director, but the best singers, they have singers that are doing the Lindemann program, that are doing the Ryan pro. I mean... Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Wolf Trap, along with the Maryland Opera Program in San Francisco. Santa Fe. Santa Fe, yes, which has a lot of professionals involved in it mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but, yeah, that, I mean, both those programs are huge. So what Kim does is she kind of geeks out on the stats, like me. And when she goes around the country on her annual audition tour to as Oliver said, find those young artists that are going to join the Wolf Trap program. She makes statistics off of what everyone sings. And so for sopranos, mezzos, tenors, and bass baritones, she gets together all of the different arias that are on display. And she breaks them down in many different ways. So for example, she'll make a spreadsheet for what are the arias that are submitted when a singer and this, we're looking at tenors tonight, when a singer says, these are the four arias that I offer to you in the sort of a four, a four aria package. She'll make a spreadsheet for which arias are listed just once in that package. She'll make a spreadsheet on what is the first aria sung out of that package. And then she'll make a list of every single aria in every single language. It's pretty fascinating. These numbers are awesome. Just Obviously, cre- we're going to look at tenors tonight because Tobias is a tenor. Because I sing tenor. So, the most frequent aria listed, and this is again the four aria package. So a singer comes in, they've got a sheet of paper. These are the four arias that I can sing. You, Kim, you can pick, you know, you can tell me what you want to hear or I can, you know, pick one. The most popular... By a pretty wide margin By, is yeah, yeah is this ist bezaubernd schön from the Magic Flute. Magic Flute by Mozart. Tamino Which, sings the art. So it's interesting because as a tenor, I I offer this too, uh, and I feel like um, I feel like a lot of tenors, especially young lyric tenors, it's an easy one to offer because uh, like um, a lot of the other German that's out there is yeah. either huge. Because German opera is huge in and of itself, or it's a lot of uh, charactery-ish tenor stuff. And so, right. what's like an accessible lyric opera aria that is in German? Boom, Mozart, Mozart's uh, Dies Bildnis. Again, so this is thirty percent of the people that have auditioned for her, and this is from this past mm-hmm. round. Have it as one of their four. Have have that aria as one of their four. Thirty percent, a which, third. Yeah. But what I don't understand is this: is like, and P.S. All these numbers are all available. You can check out the link on our website, operaboxscore.com. You can go to the Wolf Jet, uh, her blog. I was going to well. say, if you're a young singer, go to that blog and scope that out. And don't, I would say, don't be deterred just by seeing that the rep. Like for me, I sing this Bildness, and it's at the top of the list. And I don't sit here and think, oh, I should choose something different. But shouldn't you choose something different? I mean, why would you do what everyone else is doing? If you sing it well, you sing it well. And I and you know what there I, I I see what you're saying too, but also if you sing it well, show that you sing it better than everyone else who sings it. I understand that, but but you're coming from the point of view of a singer, from the point of view of the other side of the table. If you're the last guy on the day and you're singing the same aria that everyone else has put on their list, even if you hit a home run, man, we're tired at that point. You know, I, you don't have any control, I suppose, about yeah. where you are in the day. You don't, and it's like, well, go back to sports. It's like shooting free throws. 
Yeah. You got to do it. Might as well be. <laughs> you, you might as well be really good at it. Do you know what I mean? It's I like do. it's like so. Yeah, everybody shoots from the same distance. Why don't you just show that you're better than everybody else at it? So I look at it competitively, but I also, um, I have had uh, it, someone tell me that one of my songs that I offered showed a lack of creativity. Yeah, and that nice. was New York Lights, which is on this list. Dude, it is on this list. And, it, uh, wasn't it one of the most popular English it artists? It is ranked ninth. So seven. So just so seven point six percent of applicants had that on, compared to thirty. So, Understand that, <laughs> and even New York Lights, uh, it comes after Tom Rakewell's aria "Here I Stand" from mm-hmm. the Rake's Progress by Stravinsky. So, and there's a big margin be- between "Here I Stand" and and the the New York Lights aria. Uh, let me let me play a little clip of one of the least popular ones. Oh, what is it? What do you? Okay, got? I'm wondering. I'm wondering if you're going to know what this is. You, you, you may or may not know. Okay, well, he's not singing in a major operatic language. I'll tell you that right now as a hint. I was like, what is that? Yeah, he's singing in Czech. Oh, uh, I don't know. What is that? Well, if it's Czech, it's, it's got to be Bartered Bride. Oh, it's got to be. By Smetna. <laughs> it's, it's Vasek's aria, Mama Matisha Povidala. It, Mama a, Nati- I found it. You found it? Yeah, it's, it was only listed once. Exactly. That's one of the <laughs> least popular ones, which is a shame because Bartered Bride is kind of a lovely opera. Oh, that's... And that's a beautifully comic character. He has a stutter, I seem to remember, which is why he says, ma, ma, ma. He's trying to say mommy. There's a couple that are also only... Oh, that makes sense. The ma, ma, that are that are only listed once that are uh, kind of interesting yeah, as I look exactly, through this list. Exactly. Like, it's kind of weird to me that Amor TV, I thought, would only be listed once. So, I guess I wasn't... Or so... E Luce van la Stelle. I thought that was like, that's Tosca. Yeah. That's beautiful. Now, look, I guess I was not surprised that these business came in at 30%. I was very surprised about the runner-up. So this was on almost a quarter of mm-hmm. people's lists. And this was Kuda Kuda, which is Lenski's aria from Eugene Onegin by Tchaikovsky. Mm-hmm. Why, Tobias, would any tenor in their right mind pick a piece that was in Russian? Are you ready for me to tell you why? Please. Because there is this... Just stupid uh, requirement by every young artist program that you have five different languages represented. What are your five arias? Everyone says, what are your five arias? And to me, that's such, dude, I don't know. I don't sing five. But you know what? But that doesn't really give you any choice because then you have to basically do English, German, Italian, French, and Russian. Exactly. And that's why you see that. So everybody, every tenor has this this, uh, arias for tenor book. And what do you think the only Russian aria is in it? Yeah. 
kura kura. Yeah, okay. You know, and it's really interesting. So it's weird. I see that up there, and I'm not at all surprised by it, and I don't think it's a negative. I think that is because the number of people who sing that aria that will ever actually go sing Russian yeah, is yeah. so few. Yeah, So exactly. few. Exactly. And that's why that's there, it, because somebody told them they had to have arias in five different languages. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. And so by default, it gets... I actually... What else is on your list, by the way? For, you know, I counted. I went through just these first three tables. If you, right. if sure. I sing or have sung in an audition 19 of those. So honestly, it just kind of depends on what I feel like. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the great things for young singers. Just go learn it. Yeah. Go learn everything. And if it feels good, great. If not, keep working on it. Yeah. Because like, I want to, within my arsenal of known music, be able to look at an application and say, oh, they're doing these shows. Why well, should do this? You know what I mean? Then I don't feel locked in. I feel like, oh, I've got a, a whole bag full of songs and I can just choose whatever I need to choose. Yeah. And I'm not everyone's like that, but. I just, I love these numbers. Big thanks to Kim Whitman yeah. over at Wolf Trap Opera. Check out the link. It's on our website, operaboxscore.com. It is time, young man, by which I mean Tobias Wright, wrap up the show with Good Call, Bad Call. Good Call, Bad Call. On Opera Box Score. Oh man, this this hour goes so fast. It does, but this you has know, been a good hour. It's, it's been, been a good a, hour. It's been a serious hour. Uh, there's been some levity, some in it. But we do. I mean, we talked about we talked about serious stuff that's going on. It started off intense. It started off intense. Yeah. Hey, um, good calls and bad calls. Co-host Oliver Camacho sends us this good call with a coupon attached. This week, America's sweetheart Joyce DiDonato makes her debut with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra singing a rare orchestral song cycle by Giuseppe Martucci called La Canzone dei Ricordi. It's not what we're used to hearing from this Baroque and bel canto specialist, but the Harris Theater of Music and Dance is offering Opera Box Score listeners a 40% discount on tickets to the tour of her upcoming album, In War and Peace. It's with the period band Il Pomodoro. Now, the record drops in November, and the Chicago tour stops in early December. So, use the promo code OPERA40, that's all one word, it's at the Harris Theater website. Again, OPERA40. Then, donate the money that you're going to save on your ticket to your favorite local arts organization like Vox 3 Collective or Chicago Fringe Opera. That is Oliver Camacho's Good Call. Again, with that discount code, Opera 40, Opera 40. Tobias, what's your good call or your bad call? I have a bad call, and my bad call is uh, that it seems like every year fall... Uh, the fall festivities begin sooner and sooner. And by right. fall festivities, I mean Ugg boots, tights, and pumpkin spice lattes. What's wrong with that, dude? You just described it's, like... <laughs> that sounds very picturesque to me. So here's my bad call. I went and bought a pumpkin ale that was like barrel-aged in a bourbon. Yeah. So it was a beer, yeah. and I was like, ah, oh, it's got a little pumpkin in yeah. it. Great. And then it was barrel-aged in yeah. a bourbon casket, and it was awful, and I spent like 18 bucks on it. Okay. I thought you were say you were going to buy some leggings. Oh, I'll wear some leggings next week to the show. Uh, quick bad call for me. Just leggings. <laughs> Uh, Arnold Palmer, of course, passed mm. away, and uh, Marlins pitcher ace Jose Fernandez at the age of 24. Yeah, that to, I mean, yeah, that that was a bad day for Very sports, right there. Very bad day. But I love golf, and I love Arnold Palmer. Had the chance to watch him golf. Did you? 
Yeah, when I was a little boy, I think I was about 12 years old, and that was just, just such a thrill. He walked by and shook everybody's hand that was along the ropes. It was he just was awesome. of a different era, wasn't he? What a totally, gent. yeah. That's it for tonight's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. For N-U-R, our programming director is Nick Anderson, and the general manager is Brax Stussy. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Opera Box Score. Be sure to like our Facebook page, and if you know people who would enjoy our show, help us spread the word by sharing our posts. You can also subscribe to our uh, podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave a review. Let us know what you want to hear more of on our show. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera during those long TV timeouts on College Football Saturdays. We're back next Monday night at 9 Central. Brand new segments, more hot takes. Hey, Street Beats up next with DJ Joe. You're listening to WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago Sound Experiment.